Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll be in verses 9 through 12 tonight. The title of this evening's message is Poorly Rich and Richly Poor. Poorly rich, richly poor. As we continue our study through the book of James this evening, we'll be in in these verses, and and let's remember a few things that we need to keep in mind as we build through this book. First, I think one of the most important things we can keep in mind as we study through this book is who James is writing to. He's writing to the dispersed Christians, those who have been scattered due to the persecution, those who have been forced away and and pushed out and and scattered abroad and they're out uh, and apart from their homeland, so to speak. And he's writing to them, but they are the brethren. They are Christians. They do know Christ as their Savior. And he's writing them that they might reflect on their lives and the way that they are living now that they are dispersed and far away from home. And I think he's looking to do a couple of things. One, calling them to remember what it means to walk a Christian walk. So they're not close to home. They're not where they've been comfortable. They're not where they first learned about Jesus, you might say. They're not right there close to home. And as they scatter around, he wants to remind them of of what it looks like to walk in the Christian faith, what it looks like to have a Christian walk. And two, I think he's calling them to examine themselves in terms of who they are and whose they are. Make sure you catch that in terms of whose they are. So are you walking the way that a Christian should walk? And if you're not walking the way that a Christian should be walking, what is the reason for that? It is because uh, you have wandered away and you're no longer paying attention and you're no longer living for Christ? Or is it because you never knew Christ to begin with? And so James is is kind of writing and, and we said that it's good for us to examine our own lives in the same way. Are we walking the, the walk of a Christian? Are we walking the way we're supposed to walk as a result of Jesus saving our souls? And if we are not, then what is our reasoning for that? Is it simply a, a backslidden time that we need to repent and turn back to God and, and draw nearer to Him? Uh, or is there a deeper situation in our life? Did, did we ever really know Him? And, and so we saw that one way, last week we looked, And so one way that we can look and tell about our Christian walk is what is our attitude, what is our outlook when we face suffering and trials. So how do we look at that? And he said that as believers, we should not have self-pity. We should not look at ourselves and hate our trials, but we should look at our trials and count them as joy because through those trials, we learn to depend on God because through those trials, we draw nearer to God and our faith is strengthened. And tonight, James is going to get into another topic and another subject, and this one starts to deal with, with a subject that can, can strike a nerve sometimes with us. And he, he's talking about our money and our possessions, our things, and he starts to talk about richness and poorness. It starts to to give us this knowledge that the subject is is money, and I don't know about you guys, but but I've been warned by other pastors, money's not something you want to talk about from the pulpit unless you want to make somebody mad. I can't help it. It's here in the Word of God. We're going to talk a little bit about it and our perspective on our things and on our possessions uh, in terms of how it relates 
to our faith. So please stand in honor and reverence to the holy words of our holy God from the book of James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let us pray. Father God, God, we thank you. We thank you for any presence that we feel of you, Lord. We thank you for your spirit dwelling with us, Lord God. And God, we ask for just that, and that is your spirit to dwell among us this evening. Draw us nearer to you as we study your word, Lord God. Reveal to us what you would have us to see in this text, Lord. And God, we thank you and we praise you for what you're about to do in this place. And as always, we will give you the glory for all you do in our lives. And it's in your precious name that we pray. And all of God's children said, and you may be seated. So we dive in here and we find ourselves first introduced to our first character. I told you it was offensive if you didn't go a minute ago. I would, I would only do that to him, by the way. I, if any of you are thinking of going to the restroom, I promise I don't put people on the spot. But he deserves it. Um, his, his wife agrees. So, so we find ourselves introduced to a, to a new character here, a specific character. And he's described here in our text simply as the lowly brother. He's described as the lowly brother. And this is a description of the brother who just does not have much in this world. Literally, the wording here is the brother whose circumstances and possessions do not amount to much. So you, you might could, could say it's a, a nice way. James is putting lowly brother. It's a real friendly way of saying the broke brother. The one with no money, the one without much stuff, the one that's barely getting by, the brother who doesn't have many possessions, the brother uh, who just doesn't have a lot. And now I'm going to say that many of us immediately start to find ourselves tuning in here. We say, oh, the lowly brother, the one who doesn't have all the things he wants, the brother who doesn't have the things that he'd like to have. And we feel like we know what it means to relate to the brother that just doesn't have the stuff that other people have, the brother who doesn't have as much. And then James, kind of like he did back in verse 2, he he says, in verse 2 he says what? Consider it all joy When you face various trials, and we said last week, well, well, that's an odd statement. When you face trials, consider it joy. When you go through a hard time, smile and joy. When when you're going through a a situation, you're supposed to look at it with joy. We said, well, that's difficult to do on the surface. We don't want to count it joy when we go through a trial. And so here James does kind of the same thing for us. He, He sets us up with a mindset that is really hard to wrap our brains around when he says... Let this poor man, let this lowly brother glory, literally rejoice. Let this lowly brother take glory in the exaltation of himself. Now, it just doesn't seem to make 
makes sense. He essentially says, let the lowly brother take glory in his high position. And this would be like going to the homeless shelter and telling the homeless man who comes up to, to get the meal that you've went to serve and you look him in the eye and say, you take glory in your homelessness, sir. Take glory in the fact that you don't have a place to lay your head this evening. Take glory in your high position, sir. I'm going to say that the homeless man might look at you like you've lost your ever-loving mind. I'm going to say the other people they're serving with you might look over at you like you've lost your ever-loving mind. So what does James mean here? What is he saying in verse 9 when he says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Well, remember... What James has been talking about these last few verses. He's talking about having joy in your trials. Taking joy in your trials because your faith is improving. And he moves right to money and right to possessions and the lack thereof. And he says, you don't need to worry about your lack of worldly possessions. You don't need to focus on the fact that you don't have the things that you'd like to have. You don't need to focus on the fact that that your car is not as nice as someone else's. You don't need to focus on the fact that your house is not as big as someone else's. You don't need to focus on the fact that you don't have the things you think you deserve or that you think you should have. That's not where your focus should be. You don't need to worry about your lack of worldly possessions. He's saying you should glory simply in this fact that you are a child of God. Because what do you have to exalt if you don't have any possessions? The only thing you can exalt in is the fact that you belong to the Most High King. He's saying you cannot spend your time focused on these temporal things that pass away. You have to look at what you do have. And what you do have as a child of God is an eternity that has been signed and sealed and delivered. And that is where your exaltation comes from. He's writing here to the dispersed. And so think about what that means. Imagine, not because you planned it, not because your job moved you, not because you knew somebody in another land that was going to set you up and help you out. Imagine that you were moved from right here in Lebanon, Tennessee, to a foreign land because you feared for your life. You didn't have a job lined up. You didn't have money lined up. You didn't have family there. You just showed up in a new place. No job, no money, no house. You would probably begin to revel in what you didn't have, wouldn't you? It would be very easy to begin to worry about what you didn't have. And so James is penning this letter to people who may very well have nothing. They weren't able to take everything with them. They had to just go with what they could carry. And they went to to where they could go. And when they got there, they're trying to set up a new life and start over in this new land. And they're not the most popular people anyway when they get there. And James is writing to them and he's saying, listen, you, you can't focus on what you don't have. You've got to focus on what you do have. You've got to focus on your identity as a child of God. 1 Peter 1, 4 says, Your inheritance as children of God is an unperishing, undefiled, and unfading inheritance. That's 1 Peter 1, 4. Romans 8, 17 and 18 says, If we are children of God, then we are heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Jesus, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of the comparison with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Think about how that sounds to somebody that has nothing. I am convinced 
that the sufferings of this time do not compare to the glory of what is coming. Paul is writing here and, and James was writing to the Christians and it speaks to us today as those of us who go through this life and essentially what is being said to us is you cannot spend all of your time worried about the things you don't have, worried about the suffering that you endure, worried about what you don't have, focused on that, allowing that to drive your life. What should drive your life is a knowledge that what happens here on this earth really don't matter. What matters is that this suffering we endure here means nothing eternally compared to the glory that we experience living with a holy God in heaven. That is where our exaltation comes from. Not in the riches that we have. Not in the things that we have. Do you realize when we're gone they stay and they just wither away or they belong to someone else. But what we have to exalt is in our salvation. We see here that the focus on how the poor can be rich is to not be focusing on the earthly lacking. So the man of lowly position has to be focused on his internal inheritance. That is the only thing that he has to exalt in. And so James is saying, don't let yourself... Be lowly in your perspective of yourself. Look to the fact that you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys. But in my lowest time on this earth, if I could have just remembered the perspective that I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ according to scripture. I am a joint heir with the king of kings. I am a joint heir of the Lord of lords. I am a joint heir of a home in heaven. I am a joint heir of an eternity worshiping a holy God. That makes whatever I'm going through, whether it be financial or, or whatever it is, that makes it seem pretty meaningless compared to an eternity in glory. And so the lowly brother is to glory in his exaltation. And then we see something in verse 10 start to happen as James writing. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but... You guys will remember, anytime you see the word but or however or, or because of, it's kind of a, a transitional, it's kind of a tie together. And he says, so let the low, lowly brother glory, some of your translations will say boast, in his exaltation. But, it's tying them together, the rich brother should glory or boast in his humiliation. This next guy, I like to call him the poor rich. He says, let him boast, let him glory. In his humiliation. Here we go again. James saying that the one who has much shouldn't boast in what he has, but in losing stuff. And that's kind of confusing, isn't it? I mean, by the worldly terms... Generally speaking, we don't boast when we're losing things. We don't boast in what we're losing. We boast in what we're gaining. We, we talk about the things that we have. And James is saying for the rich brother, his glory, his boasting should be in what's falling away, not in what he has. Now before you get high and mighty, because I know the tendency of some, some, some people have a tendency to say, well... I was ready to listen when he was talking about the poor man because that's who I am. 
But now he's transitioned over to this rich guy. I can wait for point three and then I'll start listening again because that's not who I am. I don't need to really, I don't really need to hear what he's talking about that. But can I just, uh, can I just point something out to everybody here tonight? I believe that probably everybody here got here in a vehicle. Chances are it was your vehicle or a vehicle that someone let you use. Most had a choice as to which vehicle they were going to drive to get here. Most of us know where we're going to lay our head down tonight and, and go to, to bed. And for most of us, it won't be on a flat rock. Did you know that last night, the big emergency at the mall house was when Brother Jason realized that he had taken his entire wardrobe of church clothes to the dry cleaner last week and had forgotten on Saturday to go pick them up. So on Saturday night, as I was getting ready to lay my clothes out for what I was going to wear to church this morning, I said, I don't have any suits, I don't got no pants, I don't got no dress shirts. But this morning, I had on a pair of dress pants and a suit coat, a dress shirt, and a tie that I found in another closet. You see what I'm saying? I thought that I had taken everything I had, and I had an entire suit of clothes that I didn't even consider a part of my suit of clothes. It was something I wore when I first started a job five or six years ago. Thank God it still fit somehow. <laughs> my point is this. By, by comparison to the world we live in, outside of our insulated standing here in the United States, we are all wealthy. We're wealthy. You could, you could take people who in the United States that we consider to be living below the poverty level, put them in some of the foreign countries where our missionaries are working right now, and they would be wealthy. They would be considered to be living like kings and rulers. So in light of the lives that we live, before you tune out and don't listen to me talk about the rich brother, what I want you to realize is that for most of us here, you may not have everything you want, but for most of us here, we, we start being preached to in verse 10, not in verse 9. For most of us, verse 9 is, is a knowledge verse. Verse 10 is an application verse for us because it's where we live. And James says to us, boast in your humiliation. Kind of like telling a businessman, boast not in the riches you accumulate, but in the money that you're losing. Don't boast in what you're gaining. Boast in what you are Losing. So how does that work? Well, it's a test of faith as to how you view your financial standing. It's a test of how do you look at your possessions. I don't want anybody to go out of here tonight and say, well, Brother Jason said we wasn't supposed to have nice stuff. If we do, we're not really Christians. That's not what I said. I didn't say there's anything wrong with having good stuff. If you've got a lot of money, you should give some to your pastor. We'll put it towards Project Renew, don't worry. But what I'm saying is, how do you view 
your possessions? What do they do to you? Remember the rich young ruler who went to Jesus? He didn't struggle with the laws. He knew the laws. He had known them since he was a child. He had even upheld them, he says. I have kept them since I was a young man. He had no problem with the, the laws and the rituals and the things that he was supposed to physically do. He had those under control. He had obedience under control. I know what I'm supposed to do. I got no problem doing it. But what did he have a problem with? Why did he walk away not knowing Jesus? Why did he walk away not being a saved man, a changed man? He walked away because Jesus said, you need to lay your riches down and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away saddened because he had many possessions. And so his glory was not in his humility. His glory was not in what he was losing. His glory was already in what he had. He was placing all of his faith in the things that he had accumulated instead of looking forward to what was tomorrow or what was for eternity. And as James writes about trials, and he says, count them joy. Count your losses even financially as, as a way that you may be drawing nearer to Christ, learning to depend on Christ to get you through. You see, trials, they kind of have a way of making the playing field between the rich brother and the poor brother a little closer to level in terms of an eternal perspective. Because that's where we have to get to. We, we got to get to this point before we learn to depend on God. You don't, you don't depend on God when everything's going well. You don't depend on God when you have all the things you want and all the things you need. You learn to depend on God when things are kind of struggling. So, so why does the rich brother boast in his losses? Why does he boast in his losses? Because the point is this. I think James's whole point is this. He said the, the, the poor brother, he's boasting in his eternal inheritance. He's gaining something when he gets his internal inheritance. And he has nothing on this earth. But for the rich brother, it's going to be a little harder maybe for the rich brother to focus solely on his eternal inheritance because he has these things on this earth. But what's James saying? you got to boast in what you're losing. Well, what are you losing when you go to your eternal inheritance? What did we say? What happens on this earth? All of your riches, all of your houses, all of your cars, all of your monies, all of your bank accounts, 401Ks and Bs and Cs and Ds, they just stay here and they don't amount to an eternal hill of beans. And so for the rich man, I'm not saying you shouldn't have retirement plans. You should be frugal with your money. You should be intelligent with what God blesses you with. That is not what I'm saying at all. There's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. What the problem is, is when that is where your faith is. And James is saying, if you've got stuff, you need to realize that you should take joy in the day when you don't got it no more. Because that's when you will be eternally with the king. Your exaltation comes from the humiliation of losing all this stuff on earth and gaining the same inheritance that the poor man gained. Because as long as you're here on this earth, there's this standard, rich and poor. But when it comes to the eternal inheritance, it's all about saved or not. And that's what James is saying. The rich man has got to come to hear, the poor man to come to hear, and the, and the glory all comes in your position with Christ. So the poor boasts that his inheritance is not of this earth. The rich is to boast in that his joy doesn't come from what he has here, but what is eternal, what is found in his eternal inheritance. And then James goes on to give us a warning. 
He goes on to say something to the rich man. What happens if you can't get there, rich brother? What happens if you're not living a life so dependent on the exaltation that comes from knowing Christ? What happens if you can't get there? Look at the end of verse 10 and verse 11. He says, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. No sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuit. So what happens if the rich man cannot let those pursuits go and cannot focus on the heavenly things? Well, he'll be like the flowers in the grass. And this, this description here, James is writing, and they would have all known it. Remember, even though they're dispersed, they're kind of still in a region, and they were all from the same general area. And in that area, there are beautiful grasses and flowers that would grow out uh, in, the, in the areas and on the hillsides and things, and, and all these grasses that would come up would have these colorful flowers. And I've never seen it firsthand, but I've seen images, and I've heard people that have seen it say that it's just breathtaking to look out and see all the vibrant colors and all these pretty grasses growing. But they grow in the, the winter, and by midsummer they scorch, and they're gone. And there's even times when they're flourishing in the mornings and they say that when the wind changes direction and is no longer coming from one direction but from the desert, it brings with it an intense heat. The temperatures start to rise and those winds are called the, the Sirocco winds. And these winds come in and suddenly these flowers and grasses that were so beautiful just a moment ago, that intense heat blows through with the winds and they're gone. Just like that. They just wither away and the colors are no longer vibrant. It's just this brown, nasty plant that's been withered by the heat in just a moment. And James is writing the wealthy brother and, and he's pointing out this fact. Your riches, your monies, all the things you can work an entire lifetime to save all the money you can stand to save. And the blowing of a scorching wind can eliminate it just like that. Just like that. What are some scorching winds that we see today? I've heard stories of people who live their lives having been very good with their money their entire lives and have the, the, the Sirocco wind of cancer eliminate their savings just like that as they struggle to pay their bills. I've seen and heard of people whose family have fallen into a situation, a legal situation or something, and suddenly a lifetime of savings is gone just like that. Even more, I've seen people live their entire lives saving and saving and saving and saving and saving and then pass away with a bank account full of money that their kids end up fighting about most of the time, unfortunately. But it was gone just like that. In a moment, they went from being earthly rich to being on the same level as the one who was earthly poor where their standing and their exaltation came down to whether or not they knew the king of kings, regardless how much money they had on this earth. I've heard it put this way. I've never seen a hearse with a luggage rack for you to put your stuff on. That's kind of what James is saying. You spend all your life chasing after the stuff and the love of money, 
And you're going to at some point look back and realize that you've been finding your joy in the wrong place. You've been finding your satisfaction in the wrong place. Because if your joy and your happiness and your security is found in your finances, what are you going to do when it's gone? Because it will go away. And it can happen just as quickly as the winds can shift and scorch the grass on the side of the hill. And so what does that, what does that mean to us? What does that mean to us? Well, it means simply this. We don't take our joy in whether we're rich or poor, earthly. We take our joy in the fact that we belong to the King of Kings. As children of God, we belong to the King of Kings. He is immutable, invincible, omniscient, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's always. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Messiah. He's the Deliverer, the Sustainer, the Creator, the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, the End, the One who's coming in on a white horse, the One who signed and sealed and delivered us, the One who spread His arms on a tree and shed His blood for me, the One who died, the One who is holy, the One who loves me enough that while I'm not holy, He provided me a way to be holy. And if I can't exalt in that then no amount of money is going to bring me pleasure. No amount of money is going to bring me happiness. How many rich people do you know that are really all that happy apart from having a lot of toys? Now, they're happy when they're driving their fancy car. But can they lay their head down at night and know I belong to the King of Kings eternally? And so let's let's remember how we wrap up this whole section because really from verse 2 all the way through verse 12... It's kind of a, a chunk of the letter that runs together. I know we split it up into two sermons, but verse 12 kind of gives us our conclusion of these nine verses. And he says this, Blessed is the man who endures his temptations. That word is synonymous with trials. Blessed is the man who endures his temptations as trials. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Your trials, your tribulations, your hard times, your experiences, your bad times, your good times, your rich times, your poor times, every one of them, we have to be able to separate ourselves from the temporal And endure all of those trials, all of those tribulations with joy because we have to know that the crown of life is what awaits us. For those who call ourselves children of God, we have been promised a crown of life. Now, I don't know about you guys, but knowing the end, in my opinion, should make it easier to endure the now. Whatever situation that you're in, knowing that in the end there is a crown of life awaiting you as a child of God, that should strengthen you in the now, whatever that situation may be. And that is where we find our exaltation. That is where we find our boast. That is where we find our ability to glory is in that I know that I know that no matter what happens here on this earth, I belong to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. 
for your mercy, for your grace, for your endurance that you provide for us, Lord God. God, we thank you that we can take our glory in simply knowing that no matter what we have, what we don't have, what we endure, what we've been through, and what we're going through, God, that the victor's crown of life awaits us, God, who call you Savior. So, God, my prayer for everyone here would be a perspective that you would help us to focus eternally on you, Christ, and on belonging to you and the joy that comes from that. God, if there's someone here, if there's someone here who realizes that their perspective has been off because they've never truly known you, I pray you give them the courage and the conviction to step out and say, I want to be saved tonight. God, we love you and we praise you and we give you the honor and the glory for all you do. It is in your precious name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.